Please open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. For a text that I believe and hope many of you know well, for its cadence, its words, its syllables, many of you have memorized it when you were children, but we want to understand its sense as fully as God will bless us this morning. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is a verse that every child should know. It's a verse that every adult should know. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. As I mentioned earlier this morning, I'm convicted that we must often come back and consider the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we're doing that this morning. I have waited to get back this morning to bring us again to remember these things. If we're gripped by the Spirit of God to consider this gift in its right and proper light, all Christian duties become easy privileges instead of grievous and onerous burdens. If we understand this verse in its full depth. We understand the doctrine of salvation differently than most of those preaching in this city, county, state, and country. And we cannot compromise it. And I'll remind us of how we believe it differently as we go through this short verse. But it's not enough to know the doctrine. It's not enough for us to love this doctrine. It's not enough for us to despise any opposing heresies. It's not enough for us to be able to present this to others and even to do it boldly. The key is knowing and loving the God and the mediator by which we were saved from our sins. The key is not loving the doctrine. The key is loving the God and the Savior of the doctrine. And may the Lord bless us this morning to turn our attention heavenward and to be thankful for the God of heaven reaching down to His rebel creatures and granting us the gift of eternal life through a substitutionary man, the man Christ Jesus, who has saved us from the death that we deserve and that we earned. I'm convicted that our love of the doctrine sometimes may exceed our love of the God and the Savior of the doctrine. Lord, forgive us. When we love the truth rather than those that the truth tells us about. Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It begins with a conjunction. A conjunction is a word that connects phrases and clauses and sentences. And in this case we have the word for, and that means it's a conjunctive conjunction. Now, if a conjunction connects sentences, what is a conjunctive conjunction? It's one that coordinates sentences positively. They have a positive relationship between the other verses of Romans chapter 6 and this 23rd verse. Romans chapter 6 has one simple contextual lesson. God's grace should cause us to live holy lives. The first verse of this chapter asks the rhetorical question, what shall we say then? After reading Romans chapter 5 and God's great salvation through the one man and mediator Christ Jesus, remember, for by one man's obedience many were made righteous, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 19, in light of that, the apostle asks the question that he's afraid that we might be thinking. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If there's so much grace 
in God through Jesus Christ for our salvation. And if that grace abounds where sin abounds, then we might as well let sin abound so that grace can abound. And Romans chapter 6 is to tell us, no, that is not right thinking. And so as you read through Romans chapter 6, it says you were once the servants of sin, but God be thanked that now you're the servants of righteousness. What kind of fruit did you have in those things? The end of those things is death. But now the end and the fruit of your life in serving God is everlasting life. And we come to the 23rd verse. And so it begins with the little word for. And here's the explanation. And there's two reasons in this verse as to why we ought to live holy lives. For the wages of sin is death. If we live an unholy life, we are setting ourselves up for dying. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has given us a gift and therefore we ought to be living in holy service to Him because He has given us that gift of eternal life. And that is the purpose for the word for there as it connects the two reasons in verse 23 and adds them to what has been said in chapter 6. Because of what God has done for us, we ought to live a holy life. For the wages of sin is death. The wages. Now that's a word not used very much in the Bible, but I know one thing. You all know what it means. Because you all worry about your wages. You want to make sure that you're getting paid your wages when you do something. You do not want to work without wages. When you do something, you want to get paid for it. And the Bible tells us that your sins have earned something and God will pay you your wages. And those wages are death for your sins. Wages are something you earn for work done. They're a payment owed to you for your actions. Now God told Adam, and you heard this last Sunday, and I'm thankful that you heard it, in the day that thou eatest thereof, I shall surely pay thee the wages that thou hast earned, thou shalt surely die. For the wages of sin. There's a consequence for sinning. The Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die, is what the Bible tells us in Ezekiel 18. Every man has sinned and fully earned the wages of death that we're about to read about. For our conduct falls far short of God's glory. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Short of the glory of God. We are unacceptable for heaven. We've come short of the glory of God. He cannot allow us in heaven. We've come short of the glory of God that says that about all of us. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all earned the wages of sin, which is death. Every person hearing me right now, whether you're sitting here and hearing me, or whether you're hearing by an audio tape, or over the internet, or on a videotape, everyone that's hearing me has accrued wages that will be paid. You will get your payday. God will pay you for what you've earned. God will give you what you have done, for what you have done, and that is death. God is holy and just. He's very faithful to pay, and your payday is near. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to be paid, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment, you have a payday coming, and it's death. For the wages of sin is death. We know what wages are. We have earned what is about to be described. We have done against the God of heaven. We have come short of His glory. And He will certainly pay us what we deserve. And that is death. For the wages of sin. Now what is sin? The Bible tells us in a simple statement, sin is the transgression of the law. God gave laws, we break those laws, and that is what sin is. Sin 
is not what you think is bad. Sin is not what everyone else thinks is bad. God doesn't care what you think is good or bad. He doesn't care what everyone thinks is good or bad. Our nation today justifies just about anything. And it condemns very little. I hope you can remember that at some time in your past, some pastor preached a series of messages to you called Forgotten Sins. Because they are sins that are not even mentioned anymore. And the Bible is full of them. There were over 50 in that list. And it's on the website. And it's on the home page. It doesn't matter what you think is good and acceptable. It's what God thinks is good and acceptable. And He's revealed that in His Word. And when we violate what God has said, we sin. So it says, for the wages of sin... And no one in here can excuse yourself that you're not a sinner because you really haven't done anything that bad. Any single sin that you commit is very bad. The Bible is this powerful and plain about this subject. In James chapter 2 and verse 10, it says that if you offend in the law of God in one point, you are guilty of the whole law. Because one offense on one sin, no matter whether you think it is large or small, important or unimportant, brings the same condemnation as if you broke every commandment in the law. If you are guilty in one point, you're guilty of all. For the wages of sin, we have sinned against our Creator. It is not what you think is good or bad. It is what God thinks is good and bad, and His Holy Word condemns us all. Sin does not need to make you feel bad to be bad. Death is going to come whether you think it's bad or not. Everyone around you may be sinning and apparently getting away with it. No one gets away with sin. Ever. And we will all have the last laugh at you when we see sin corrupting and devouring you. And God will have the last laugh of all when He tosses you into hell for eternal torment because of sin. No one gets away with sin. Be sure your sin will find you out. For the wages of sin... Sin is learned by looking at the Bible and seeing what God tells us about living and how we ought to live and conduct ourselves. And sin is a terrible thing. And one sin is a terrible thing. Adam, in my natural judgment, did not sin all that terrible of a sin, did he? Adam ate fruit that he was told not to eat. The Lord God told him, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that is in the midst of the garden, thou shalt not eat of it. And for that one sin, God condemned the entire race of humanity to an eternity in hell. Does that say anything about the importance of sin and the greatness of sin? One sin... Eating forbidden fruit. Now think of all the commandments of Scripture and all the ones that you have broken. And every one of them is equal to that. And every one of them puts you under the same condemnation as if you broke every commandment. Moses smote a rock instead of speaking to it and he lost the land of Canaan for such a small event in an otherwise illustrious life of 40 years. Because sin is terrible for the wages of sin. God's holiness is such that He says in the Bible, the thought of foolishness is sin. If you even think about something foolish, if you think something disrespectful toward authority, it is sin. And it's enough to cast your soul in the lake of fire forever. That authority can be the authority of our civil government the authority in this church, 
the authority of your parents, the authority of the laws of transportation in this country, any authority, if you even have a thought against them, it's sin, because the thought of foolishness is sin. If you have and entertain foolish fantasies in your mind, sexual thoughts, imaginations, the thought of foolishness is sin. The Lord Jesus Christ would go on and explanify that for you in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 28 when He says that to look on a woman and lust after her is to commit adultery with her in His heart. In Matthew 5.22, He would say to be angry with your brother without a cause is to commit murder. For the wages of sin... The Bible defines sin for us and tells us that it's breaking God's law. And the Lord God is very specific about that. Even to think something against His laws is sin, and it's enough to send your soul to hell. He tells us that every idle word you're going to give an account for. Every idle word. That is, every word that does not have profit and was not thought about carefully before it sprang off your tongue, you will give an account for it in the day of judgment. That is Matthew 12 and verse 36. When you let words fly, you are letting sin fly. Because he that hasteth with his lips sinneth. And we are to be slow to speak. Slow to wrath. We're to be quick to hear and to listen. Every idle word. That's how careful the Bible is in telling us and warning us. I come over to Ephesians chapter 5 in that passage that I do not like in my flesh, but it is just as true as any other part of the Word of God. It says, but all foolishness, filthiness, foolish talking and jesting, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. For because of these things, the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. The wrath of God is coming to burn up this earth because of filthiness, foolish talking, and jesting. That's why it says, young men, exhort to be sober-minded. Foolish talking and jesting are why God is coming to burn up the earth. You can accuse me of anything you want about being too sober. I am not too sober. And one second after you meet the God of heaven, you'll know that I wasn't sober enough. You little idiots that love to laugh and tell jokes. God doesn't tell jokes or laugh except when He's laughing at you burning in hell for laughing about the seriousness of life. That's holy laughter. That's laughter in judgment. That's Ephesians chapter 5 that I read you. That's a horrible warning, isn't it? For because of these things, the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience, and we act like them when we talk foolishly or when we jest. God help us. Lord, forgive us. For the wages of sin. If you're dozing or daydreaming right now, it's enough to cast your soul into hell and to keep it there for eternity. If you're dozing or daydreaming right now, because that is not worshiping God with reverence and godly fear. That is not trembling before His Word. That is being a lazy, foolish person. You say, well, I just can't stay awake. Well, why don't you tell the Lord that when He tosses you into hell? Or I. It's all of us together, brethren. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm no holy angel preaching to you the truth of the Gospel. I'm a fellow sinner preaching to you the truth of the Gospel. For the wages of sin is death. That brings us to death. The wages of sin is death. Death is the end of life. And the Jehovah's Witnesses and all other annihilationists say, well, that's not too bad. Death is the end. Death is the end of life. See, they don't want there to be a holy hell. The Jehovah's Witnesses don't want to be a hell because if there just happens to be a Lord Jesus Christ who is God Almighty, then they're going there. So they need to get rid of hell. So they do. And so many others get rid of hell. Most everyone has gotten rid of hell today. Billy Graham 50 years ago used to preach about hell. And he preached about hell often. But Billy Graham does not believe there's a hell anymore. 
No one preaches about hell anymore, hardly. Billy Graham does not believe there is a holy hell of burning flames that torment men. For the wages of sin is death. Death is the end of life, but death is the beginning of torment. Death is not an end. Death is a beginning. Death takes you to the next world that lasts infinitely longer than this short life. Death is the beginning of torment. Death is misery, pain, and trouble. The spirit leaves your body at physical death. Your body dies, but your spirit doesn't die. It goes somewhere else to be tormented or to be received into the presence of God. When the rich man died, then his eternal existence began. When the rich man died, let's say he was 60. He had only lived for 60 years in the physical life. But his life was just getting started. Because now his soul went to hell. And it says in hell he lifted up his eyes and he was to be there for a long, long time. Forever. Because that is the death that is coming. Now listen to me. Death is a happy, lively, gorgeous girl as a cold, ashen gray, shriveled up old woman laying in a casket. All you foolish little girls who don't have a single thought intelligent about life. You don't know one thing about life. Not a thing. You think that brushing your hair and putting on your makeup is something important. In just a few years, you will be shriveled up, ugly little masses of rotting flesh. And you cannot stop it, and it's at work right now. You cannot stop it, and it's at work right now. What is this? This is what all you girls are going to look like. All you girls are going to look like this real soon. What you care about is how pretty you look. What kind of a dress did you put on? How well did you do your hair? How well did you do your makeup? Did you see that skull? You're all going to look like that. Now tell me what it is. Now tell me what it is. Do you see something different? Do you? Do you? Can you see it? Do you? What do you see? Look at it more closely. It's a woman putting her makeup on at a vanity. You can look at it later. Some woman in here is going to give us a living demonstration of it real soon. Because the wages of sin is death. Death is a happy, lively, gorgeous girl. Laid out cold, ashen gray, and a shriveled up old woman. That is one of the most graphic pictures of death is to see how beauty can decay so fast and how beauty can decay so thoroughly until you have to plug your nose and run from the room because the stench is so terrible and you have to turn away your eyes because the appearance is so ugly. That is death. And it's at work right now in this room in every single one of you devouring you from the inside out. It is unmerciful. And it is God's greatest creation to punish sinful rebels for rebelling against Him. And we deserve it because we earned it. Because the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Death is a strong, virile, handsome man. Oh, when they're in their prime, they're something, aren't they? Curled up. Brother, curled up, 
in a fetal position, yellow, and nothing but skin and bones. And it is where we are all going. And we saw it, didn't we? We saw both, didn't we? At the same time, didn't we? Remember that picture? Of your mother? You foolish boys. You feel the oats of your testosterone. I want to tell you a few little secrets about your body. Kevin, are you 21 years old? 19 years of age is when your testosterone peaked. You are already on the downside of your existence. The amount of testosterone in your bloodstream right now is less than it was two years ago. Nathan, it's less than it was five years ago. And it continues to decrease. Where's a 16-year-old in here? Are you 17, Andrew? Your human growth hormone that changes a little boy into a man that causes that growth spurt reached its peak at 14 years of age in your life. And it is on the decline now. Because of death that is devouring each of us at this very moment while you sit there and you cannot stop it, it is going to snuff out your life. It is going to suffocate you. And that is the good news. Right. Because then you go to hell if all that we face are the wages that we have earned. For the wages of sin is death. Death is working right now to choke out your life and leave you a rotting, stinking corpse. I tremble before the Bible because it tells me about death from the very first chapters. It says, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Adam could eat from a tree called the tree of life. But do you know what God did? God sent a cherubim with a flaming sword to keep the way of the tree of life so that Adam could never touch it again because he was ruined because he wanted to sin. Now think about your sins in thought, your sins in deed, your sins in your relationships, what you should have done that you didn't do, what you did do that you shouldn't have done, and according to the Word of God, you are all going to die. We are all going to die. And you're dying right now. You women... What was once a vibrant, hormone-filled woman, firm flesh, powerful ovulation, you're shriveling up and dying and rotting from the inside. Why did all of that happen? Because we chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden and because we have chose sin and the wages of sin is death. Death is the greatest punishment an infinitely wise creator could design for this life for his rebel enemies. Death is a terrible thing. You know, when the world laughs about it and says there's two things that are certain, death and taxes. Oh, but take them to a funeral. Take them to a funeral and they're not joking quite as much. Death is certain. Taxes are not. Taxes are a joke and who cares how much or when the government taxes us. But the Lord is going to pay us the wages of our sins, and that is death. Adam had a good life. He had never been better in this world, but death destroyed it all. He couldn't even be happy with himself. He couldn't be happy with his wife. Do you saw what happened to Adam as soon as he ate the fruit off that tree? As soon as he touched the fruit that God told him not to eat, he was naked. He was shamed and guilt-stricken and he was uncomfortable with his own existence before a holy God. Even though the holy God had not appeared yet. Even in the presence of that little woman that had been made from his rib, he was naked. They knew they were naked. They were ashamed and they were guilty in this world. They had ruined their existence. When God appeared that evening, instead of running out to him and talking to him about the great creation God had given him, he hid in the trees of the garden because he no longer had a relationship with that God. And then when God confronted him about his sins, he blamed his wife. And doesn't that sound familiar? Where did all that come from? It came from sin. Sin was ruining him. 
He died that day. He was continually being ruined and his body was corrupting and he fell into the grave 930 years later. A stone was put over him and worms ate him. And the robins ate the worms and the robins defecated. And so we have the end of Adam. Except Adam's going to be brought up one more time. Adam's going to be brought to an altar call and it's going to come to the great bar, the bar of judgment of God's holiness in heaven. And Adam will stand there and God will declare about him, unless he's a child of God, put in the book of life, which there is no evidence of in the word of God, he will be cast into hell for an eternal torment. That is the wages of sin. And it's not preached anymore. Today they're preaching at Brookwood, you know, the seven P's of prosperity. And I want to preach to you the seven D's of death. Amen. And then the seven S's of salvation. Amen. But we've got to follow the verse. For the wages of sin is death. Think about what it did to Adam. Think about what it's still going to do to Adam. It's still not over for Adam. You say 930 years. I could have a lot of fun in 930 years. No, you couldn't. You're not having fun now. You're frustrated, discontented, and unhappy now. 930 years would just be a whole lot more of it. But then you've got eternity for the consequence of touching that piece of fruit because your beautiful naked wife offered it to you in the Garden of Eden. You were born dead spiritually in a dying world. You can't do what you want to do. You can't find good in this life that truly satisfies. And what you consider success is always just out of your reach. The wages of sin is death. Death is consuming and devouring you and me while I'm talking to you. The breath that's pouring out of my body and the energy that I'm giving you is coming from a very reserved and limited capacity. I am spending and being spent, and you're spending and being spent even sitting there listening to me. Just listen to me for a moment. Death is sucking the memory out of your brain. Right now, death, the principle of death and the decay of the human body is sucking the memory out of your brain, the sight out of your eyes. Why, are some, why do some of you have pieces of glass hanging from wire in front of your eyes? The hearing out of your ears. The teeth out of your mouth. The taste out of your tongue. The moisture out of your mouth. The elasticity and clarity of your skin. The firmness out of your flesh. The hormones out of your body. The form out of your shape. The strength out of your bones. The power out of your muscles. The flexibility out of your joints. The color and shine out of your hair. The hair off your head. The brightness out of your eyes. Death is taking the desire and ability out of your sex. The insulin out of your pancreas. The processing out of your kidneys. The courage out of your mind the remaining beats out of your heart, and the life out of your soul. The wages of sin is death. And it is all around us, and all you have to do is look and think, and it is devouring us. The wages of sin is death. Death is eating us alive while I speak to you, and its conclusive finality is about to take all of us down. You will soon lay in a bed so weak, They will have to give you liquid food in your veins. They will have to supply air to you. They may have to run a garden hose down your throat to keep you alive. And eventually you will not even be able to function on that. You will be dead because you will have been totally corrupted. And if you were allowed to stay in that bed for three more days, other people would not be able to enter the room for the stench of it. Because of the corruption that is in you. Because that is death. And it's the consequence of sin. Why don't they ever show us that on television? Why do they always show us the beautiful, gorgeous girl? Happy-go-lucky. The virile young men that are handsome. Because they're lying to you. They're lying just like Satan lied to Eve and said, this tree can make you as smart as God. 
Hate all those lies, young people. Brushing your hair and putting on your makeup is nothing. You won't even have any hair to brush shortly. And its color is going to be so ugly, you're going to have to paint it out of a box. You won't be able to eat, swallow, or breathe. And that's the good news. It is appointed unto men once to die. That's good news compared to what comes next. And after that, the judgment. When you die, and your shriveled up, weak, yellowed, old, helpless body is cold, pale, and in a casket, you will have just started your real life. And there is an Almighty God in heaven that will press your soul by irresistible force down, down, down into the infernal regions of hell where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth forever. And there is no light at the end of that tunnel. It is not a tunnel. It has no opening or end. It is eternity. It's the consequences of sin. Why in the world would we want to be servants of sin? Shouldn't we want to be servants of righteousness? Shouldn't we want to hate sin? This is what sin does to us. I look, in my, I look at my face in a mirror and age spots and changes and skin cancer. I look at the rest of my body. I used to be strong. I used to be fast. I couldn't get tired. I could outwork anyone I ever met. For the wages of sin is death. But that's the good news. God will then press our souls down into hell for eternal torment unless something is done on our behalf. This is death in three dimensions. You were born dead, you're dying right now, and you're going to die the second death when you meet God. For the wages of sin is death. There isn't a person in here that hasn't sinned thousands and thousands of times. So you've done the sinning, you've earned the wages, and God's going to pay. I care about every one of you young girls. I love your beauty. I love your long hair. But it's nothing. What matters is your soul. Because all the rest of it is going to be devoured. And you young men, don't be foolish. Don't marry them for their beauty or their hair. Marry them for their souls. Because their beauty and their hair is going to disappear. For the wages of sin is death. It's devouring me right now. It's devouring you right now. It's devouring my parents right now. It's devouring my children right now. They're just too dumb to know it. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as is appointed to men once to die, but after that the judgment. So Christ, who was once offered for the sins of many, shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Oh, brethren. You mean I'm going to stop getting age spots? (laughs) Yes! A whole lot of other good things are going to happen. We're going to have incorruptible bodies forever. This is the testimony of the Word of God. This is why we are Christians. This is the blessed hope of the believer, the resurrection from the dead. Take my body. Let my soul and spirit spring to be with the Lord. And then resurrect my body and put it back together in a glorious combination. That is the Gospel of the New Testament. It's the glorious Gospel of the blessed God. Look at that little word, but... I took some time to explain a conjunction to you to begin the sentence. For is a conjunction. 
It's a conjunctive conjunction in that it coordinates positively things that were said before and things that are said in the 23rd verse. The word but is a disjunctive conjunction. It's connecting the first half of the verse with the second half, but it's disjunctive, meaning it's in an adversarial relationship because it's saying something that is the opposite. And I love the buts of the Bible. Because if it wasn't for that but, you and I are hopeless. It's over. For the wages of sin is death. I just told you what those words mean. But. Oh, thank you, Lord, for a but. What if it ended with that? We would know it was true, wouldn't we? I can feel it. I can see it. For the wages of sin is death. But, oh glorious but, bless God for His inspired buts. If you'll humbly bow before the first seven words of Romans 6.23, you'll find that but to be the sweetest word in the English language. If you'll humble yourself before the first seven words. For the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift. The gift. The gift. And this is where I have something to tell you that no other pastor can tell their congregation except a very few in the world. They say, dead sinner, show us some life and do something in order to be saved. But you cannot. It's hopeless. You're dead. You were taught that last Sunday. But the gift of God, it is a gift. It is not an offering. Do you know how ridiculous evangelists are? This is a common ploy by our many evangelists. They'll lay out the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. They'll pull off a watch. And they'll say, I want to give you this watch. If you want this watch, just come up and get it. All you have to do is come up and get it. I want to give you this watch. But you can't have it unless you come up and get it. Unless you accept my gift and receive my gift, you can't have it. What good is the cure for cancer going to do someone that's already in the cemetery? That is ridiculous. That is insane. That gospel has no hope and it's not based in the Bible. Eternal life is not offered to a dead person because a dead person can't do anything to get it. You heard those verses last Sunday. We're dead in trespasses and sins. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. The carnal mind that I have by my first birth from my parents, the best parents a young man could ever want, the carnal mind is an enmity against God. It is not subject to obeying God and it cannot be. So what are you going to suggest that I do when it tells me that they that are in the flesh cannot please God? What are you going to suggest that I do in order to get my gift of eternal life? That isn't any gospel. The gospel is good news. That's horrible news. That is horrible news. There is no hope of salvation for anyone in that news because no one can do anything to accept or receive that gift. But I want to tell you something. That gift is a true gift in the Bible. It was given. It was given. It wasn't offered. And what does the Bible have to say about that? Listen to this. Eternal life is a gift. The verse tells us that. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. First of all, we were given to the Lord Jesus Christ by God. John chapter 6 tells us, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. There's the gift of eternal life. God gave you and me to Jesus Christ before the world began. Now that's no offering that some Billy Graham can haul around in his suitcase. That is a gift before the world began. That is the gift of eternal life. That's part of it. Then God gave His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. This is love. 
Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's the gift of eternal life. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. Then God gives us eternal life. Look at John chapter 10. I don't want to turn very many times because I want your attention focused. But turn to John chapter 10. The gift of eternal life is God giving us to Jesus Christ by covenant before the world began. He wrote our names in the book of life. He inscribed them in the palms of His hands. He assigned the Lord Jesus Christ by covenant to die for each one of them. Then He sent His Son to do that. He sent His Son to the cross. Jesus knew His whole life was for one purpose. To die on that cross for those that had been given to Him by covenant before the world began. He knew all about the will. There was a last will and testament. And He had to die to put that last will and testament into effect. And do you know what the last will and testament was? No more death to those people. Eternal life to every one of them. Get their bodies up out of the ground and put them back together in an incorruptible condition. And so Jesus died and put that will into force. Because a will is of no force while the testator liveth. But as soon as he's dead, the will goes into force. That's why it's called the New Covenant. The New Testament. There's a third gift. That's that God gives eternal life. Look at John chapter 10, verse 28. And I give unto them eternal life. That's the, why doesn't it say, and I offered them eternal life? I offer, I offer all the goats eternal life. So that if they will just accept and receive my offering of eternal life, all the goats can become sheep. Why doesn't it say anything like that? Because this is the true gospel right here. I'm giving it to you right now. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 28, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Let's keep reading. My Father which gave them me. Now I see two gifts there. I see Jesus Christ giving eternal life, and I see God giving me to Jesus Christ. In verse 29, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Now who are these people in verses 28 and 29 that God gave eternal life to, and that He gave them to Jesus Christ? Verse 27 tells us, the sheep. Well, what do you have to do to become a sheep? Everybody would say you have to believe. But back up to verse 26. Chris Pates, back up to verse 26. Does a person have to believe in order to become a sheep of Jesus Christ? Or does verse 26 say the opposite of that? That you have to be a sheep first in order to believe. Doesn't it say, but ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep? As I said unto you, belief is not a condition to become the sheep of Jesus Christ and therefore have eternal life. The condition for eternal life is that God gave you to Christ before the world began and He sent Jesus Christ into the world to die for you and Jesus Christ gave you eternal life and that makes you one of His sheep and then you're able to believe. Isn't that what the Bible tells us right here? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What a wonderful doctrine. If God offered eternal life, no one would take it. Do you know what Jesus said in John chapter 5? Search the Scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. And ye will not come to Me that ye might have life. Jesus already understood that. So He did it all for us. Because He knew we wouldn't go to Him. Psalm 14, Psalm 58, and Romans chapter 3 all say, There is none that seeketh after God. There is none that understandeth. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We do not have anything within us to be able to do something in order to get that eternal life. So God does it for us. If He offered it to us, no one would be saved. That's a terrible doctrine. That's a doctrine of damnation for the whole human race. If God offered eternal life, no one would take it. What does the Bible say in John chapter 6 and verse 44? No man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. No man can come. You can sing about coming to the Lord Jesus all you want, but no man can come except God the Father draws him. And who do you think God the Father draws based on John 10 where your Bible is open? The sheep of Jesus Christ. If God offered eternal life, no one could take it. 
Jesus told others in John chapter 8, Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Oh, they heard this way. Oh, come on. You're still thinking carnal. Don't be as dumb as the disciples and go to the bread store when he says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Come on. Grow up. When he says you cannot hear my word, it meant that there was no spiritual comprehension of the words he was saying. A man like that can't do anything. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. There is no gospel you can preach to show a man the kingdom of heaven until he's born again first. Brother Newell explained, and explained it well, that even if a man were to come back from the dead, it wouldn't affect a person at all. That's what Abraham, through the Lord Jesus Christ, told the rich man in hell who wanted his five brothers saved from coming to that place. They said, if he'll send Lazarus back, they won't come here. Jesus said, they've got Moses and the prophets. If they're not getting excited about hearing Deuteronomy and Leviticus preached, they're not going to get excited about having a man come back from the dead. Are you all with me on that? It's the gift of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no offer of eternal life to the sinner. There is an offer of, there is an offer of Jesus Christ, and I already spent some time on it this morning, to God. The Lord Jesus Christ offered Himself without spot once to God. Remember Hebrews 9.14 when I began the service this morning? Hebrews 9.27 and 28 tells us that Jesus Christ was offered. But Hebrews 9.14 tells us He was offered to God. He wasn't offered to sinners. He wasn't offered to you or me. He was offered to God and God accepted Him. Isaiah chapter 53 is, He saw the travail of His soul and God was satisfied. Oh, thank the Lord for that. There was an offering of Jesus Christ, but it wasn't to you. It was to God for you. He was once offered for sins. He was once offered for you. But He was offered to God and God accepted Him. When He hung on the cross, He wasn't hanging there to move you. He was hanging there to move God. And He moved God. And He reconciled us to God by the death of His Son. That is the salvation from that horrible death in the first half of Romans 6.23. There's no offer of eternal life waiting upon you to do something. There are offers in the Bible. There's an offer in Romans, Revelation, excuse me, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. The whole world out there that has never taken five minutes to try to figure out their Bibles because they're too active in saving people, if they would read that verse, they would find out that there's not an unsaved person around that verse. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 are the words of Jesus Christ to a church membership who thought they did not need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he was saying, I'm standing at the door and knocking of the church at Laodicea, and if you will let me in, we can have fellowship together. There is not eternal life in that verse at all. That is the fellowship of relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. There's offerings in the Bible, but not eternal life is offered. What's offered is fellowship, peace, joy, happiness in the Lord. How about acceptance? You know, the whole world says, unless you accept the gift that God's offering, you can't be saved. Well, the only acceptance that matters is, does God accept us? And I'm thankful in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, it tells us that we were chosen in Christ before the world began, and we were predestinated to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, and that God has made us accepted in the Beloved. God has made us accepted in the Beloved. God has accepted us because we are in the Beloved who is Jesus Christ. How did we get in the Beloved to be accepted by God? He chose us in Him before the world began. He's made us acceptable. We had come short of the glory of God, but now we've got the glory of the Son of God. It's been given to us so that we are holy and without blame before Him in love and we can stand before the God of heaven unashamed because we stand in the perfect righteousness and holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, that is good news. That is good news. The giving of salvation is the work of God. The offering is Jesus Christ to God. And the acceptance is that God accepts us in Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. 
The gift of God is eternal life. It's the gift of God and what a blessed God He is. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Forget not all His benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Psalm 103, verses 1-3. through When the angels announced the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, they said, Glory to God in the highest. Why did God deserve glory? And you better give Him glory in the house of the Lord this morning. Why did they give Him glory? Because goodwill was being shown toward you and me by delivering us from the wages that we had earned by sending Jesus Christ into the world. What a blessed God. No wonder David couldn't contain himself in Psalm 136 and he just had to keep writing, For His mercy endureth forever. For His mercy endureth forever. For His mercy endureth forever. Are you tired of mercy? For His mercy endureth forever. And he wrote it 26 times in 26 verses because His mercy endureth forever. Amen. You can suck on that garden hose with joy. Amen. You can snort that oxygen with pleasure. You can take your IV with a willing spirit. Because as soon as your spirit leaves your body, you're going to be with the Lord. And He's not going to forget your body. The sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ was so complete, He's going to get all three parts of you, and He's going to get it back together. And we do not deserve one bit of it. Why did God do that? Why did He give a gift? He tells us why. The Bible is so complete. Why did He give eternal life to some and not to others? So that He might make His wrath and His power known on some, and that He might make the riches of His mercy known on the others. And do you know what you're going to do for all of eternity? You're going to thank Him for saving you from death. Ephesians 2, 7. That in the ages to come, that in the ages to come, He might show His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. It's going to take eternity for you to fully get the message that He's been very kind to you in saving you from death and hell. The gift of God is eternal life. He just didn't save us from death. He gave us eternal life. And where is that life lived? In the presence of God forever. We just haven't been put on probation from death and it's been postponed. We've been adopted as the sons of God to spend eternity with Him enjoying His full inheritance. It's going to take Him all of eternity to show you what He owns. Do you know if you were to adopt someone and take them home, how would you measure the amount of time that it would take for you to show them all that you own that they can enjoy upon your death? Two minutes? Two minutes as you walk around your large estate and survey all the rooms, Brother Bob? As 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 you survey the full estate and all the acreage, How long will it take you to show someone that you adopted what you had to give them? It's going to take God eternity. We've got such a small capacity for understanding and appreciation. He's just going to show it to us forever, the kindness that He's manifested toward us in Christ Jesus. It's through Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. There was only one way that God could do what I've just described. There was only one way that he could stop the death that he loves to put upon men when they sin because he promised he would do it. There's only one way he could stop doing that. And that's if a substitute stood in their place and died for them. And I want to remind you that on the cross of Calvary, the Lord Jesus Christ endured in a short period of time everything I have described this morning and a whole lot more in the way of death. He was separated from God. He suffered all sort of psychological, emotional, and mental torment. He suffered the physical torment. He actually suffered death. He did all of that in our place so that verse Romans 6.23 could be true. That is why it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Because the only way God could do that is through a substitute. Without Jesus Christ coming to die, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life in this world and died an innocent death on the cross of Calvary and was tormented and tortured by men, devils, angels, and God Himself. It pleased the Lord to bruise Him. The Lord pressed Him down into His soul until He was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And He was crying, My God, My God, 
on the cross of Calvary, He pressed Him down and bruised Him in our place so that we can be delivered from death, the grave, and hell. Praise His great and glorious name. The reason the words through Jesus Christ are in Romans 6.23 are because without Jesus Christ there is no such gift of eternal life to deliver us from our sins and the wages that we have earned, which is death. And then it says, our Lord. Jesus Christ is not merely our Savior. He is our Lord. There is a whole conflict, and there has been for 50 years, and I've told you about it before, among the Arminians. What do you have to accept Jesus as in order to be saved? A 50-year dilemma that is still going on. It's called the Lordship Controversy. The Arminians, trying to make salvation as easy as possible, argue that all you have to do is accept Jesus as Savior in order to be saved. A few Arminians that have a conscience left. It's a small one, but they've got one. Let's thank the Lord for a little one. They say you have to accept Jesus as your Savior and your Lord in order to be saved. God needs to accept us in Jesus our Lord for us to be saved. There is a whole conflict about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Whether you have to, when you invite Jesus into your heart, do you just invite Him in as your Savior? Or do you also need to invite Him in as your Lord? Because you're going to start to live for Him in order to be saved. That's the kind of dilemmas they get into because they've left the Word of God. Isn't that sick? How can anyone even imagine that you don't have to humble yourself before Jesus as Lord? And do you know what's tacked on to this verse, the last two words? Our Lord. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And those are the last two verses of Romans chapter 6. Jesus is our Lord, and unless you're living like He is your Lord, you have no claim to the gift that is in the verse. Romans chapter 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you're not walking after the Spirit, and if you're not putting off the flesh, then you can make no claim that you're not under condemnation. And so we have the words, Our Lord, at the end of this verse. Many are going to say, Lord, Lord, and He's going to send them to hell. Matthew 7, 21-23. If you say, Lord, sincerely and truly, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Because 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says that no man can call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Ghost. If the Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord, and you love Him as Lord, and you want Him to rule your life, and you know what that means? That means you obey the Bible. Let me make it real plain. You obey the Bible in what you think, what you say, what you do. You obey the Bible in what you don't think, or don't say, and don't do. That's how you make Jesus the Lord of your life. Let's be like Saul of Tarsus. When Jesus Christ was revealed to him as the Messiah of the Old Testament, his words were, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That's a saved man. Young people, you don't have, a crea- you don't have just a creator to remember, in the days, to remember in the days of your youth. You have a Savior Amen. to remember in the days of your youth. You're young. You still have some good days. Do you know who you owe those good days to? The God that gave you the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ your Lord. Amen. We're entering upon the evil days. We're a few moments ahead of you. You're going to enter upon those evil days. Where there's no good days because every part of you aches and you're weak. But before those days come, the Bible tells you to remember your Creator. Remember your Savior. Live for Him. Talk about Him. Rejoice in Him. Give God the glory for Him. Talk to one another about the great salvation that you have through Jesus Christ. Do you find in this God and the free gift of His Son the sweetest thing you've ever heard? Do you find in this God and the free gift of His Son the motive to love Him more? Like the sinful woman in the house of Simon the Pharisee? Do you find in this God the free gift of His Son the motive to live for Him? Like with Paul, the love of Christ constraineth us. Do you have any problem figuring out what Paul meant when he gets to Romans chapter 12? And with this I close. 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you have any problem figuring that out? I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. I've told you about the mercies of God this morning. Therefore, let us go from this place and give our bodies a living sacrifice and prove and show and display that holy and perfect and acceptable will of God. Rejoice, brethren, in the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've been saved from death. Praise His glorious name. Amen. Amen.